All right, let's go ahead and open in prayer. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for uh, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, our solid rock. Lord, we thank you tonight uh, for the privilege to worship you together in spirit and truth. Lord, we thank you for strengthening uh, our brother in Christ, Brother Art. Thank you, Lord, for enabling him to be here tonight. Uh, Lord, we, we're encouraged and we're grateful. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll meet with us here tonight as you promised to. I pray, Lord, as we uh, look into uh, Isaiah, not Isaiah, Father, but uh, 1 Kings uh, 20 tonight, that you would help each of us, uh, Lord, to see the things that you would have us to see tonight. Uh, Lord, help me uh, to teach uh, these thy words tonight. Father, I pray that you'd help us to take uh, principles that we can apply according to your leading. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, First Kings 20 tonight. Before we jump in, I neglected to say happy birthday to Sister Carolyn. Uh, happy birthday. I know you're not counting anymore. That's okay. You don't, you don't have to count, but it's still, it's still your birthday. And uh, happy birthday to you, Sister. First uh, Kings chapter 20 tonight. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 20. Recall uh, that from chapter 16 all the way down through chapter 22 uh, is the time of King Ahab's rule. Uh, Ahab's rule. Uh, also recall we're focused in, in this portion of scripture uh, in the northern kingdom of, of Israel as opposed to the southern kingdom uh, of Judah. We've seen uh, various aspects of various events or elements of the time of Ahaz's reign, Ahab's reign, there we go. Uh, we've seen Elijah's ministry and uh, Elijah's victory over the prophets of whom, Zach? The prophets of, who are the bad guys? Baal, uh, Elijah's flight, his, his successor. Uh, I think we rushed, we rushed that last week. The successor to Elijah is... Elisha, thank you. We probably rushed that part last week. Maybe go back and, and look at the end of, of chapter 19. Uh, but tonight we'll move ahead into chapter 20, uh, where the Lord gives Ahab uh, two very significant uh, military victories over the Assyrians. Uh, let me ask you this tonight, Brother Gary. Um, is Ahab a man who has a right to expect anything from God? Uh, no, we, we would say no. You, you and I would agree, brother. This is not a man uh, who has been living according to the Lord's will uh, for the Lord. This is a man who uh, has been living in, in considerable sin. And so he doesn't have a, a good claim on God's grace or, or mercy or brother or, or blessings of, of any type uh, he just doesn't uh, and yet God will be gracious and merciful uh, tonight I think we would have to say toward uh, Ahab others have argued no God's grace that we see here tonight really isn't toward Ahab uh, it's toward the the people of Israel in general uh, has something happened uh, in the the recent uh, this recent time period that, that where maybe God would want to bless more of the people. Uh, I'm not sure about that, Zach. It, it's possible when um, Elijah, uh, Elijah had a victory there on top of Mount 
fill in the blank for me, please. Mount. Uh, is it Carmel? Mount Carmel? Does that, does that sound right? Yeah, okay. Um, uh, is it possible that, that when he had that victory, when the Lord delivered that victory, that, that perhaps that caused a number of people to repent and uh, to draw back into a close relationship with the Lord? I think that's possible. Uh, I don't know that we can necessarily make that claim, uh, necessarily, but I think it's possible. And, and if that's the case, the Lord may be interested in uh, blessing the people or restoring a degree of blessing at least for uh, a period of time. I, that, that's a possibility. Uh, it's a possibility. But in any event, we see here uh, the Lord choosing to be very gracious uh, to do good uh, on behalf of a king who does not deserve uh, the Lord to do any good for him. And so you see uh, capital, all caps, underscore, highlighted grace, uh, the grace of God in this chapter tonight. Now, let me stop there and ask you this very quickly. Uh, could, we, could we each say the same uh, regarding our own lives? Uh, Rich, hopefully there's, there's not sort of marquee sins uh, in, our, in our lives today, but there's some sin, for sure. There's some sin in each of our lives. Uh, given that, do we have a legitimate claim on, on God's grace tonight uh, or, or his mercy? No, we don't. Uh, but certainly we are the recipients of his grace, first at salvation, grace that we receive through faith unto salvation, um, and then the grace that we enjoy uh, as, as saved people. By definition, we don't deserve it, but we are the, the, the benefactors or beneficiaries of uh, a gracious God. Are you glad for that tonight? Church, can, can you, are you excited about God's grace? Uh, don't forget to be excited about your, sal your, your salvation. I said that recently. Uh, as a saved person, don't forget to be excited about God's grace uh, in your life, it's, it's an extraordinary and wonderful truth. Well, we'll see God's grace here tonight. I'm going to pray again. I'm going to pray again, and then we'll jump right in here. Father, thank you again tonight for your grace. Thank you for your grace that makes our salvation possible. Lord, thank you for your grace that we experience um, as saved people uh, in a close uh, walk with you. Lord, thank you for your grace that we so often experience even when we are not doing as we should. Lord, you're a gracious God, and I thank you so very much for that tonight. Father, help us to see your grace tonight. Help us to be excited about it and grateful for it. Lord, give us hearts tonight to worship you, uh, to praise you, to celebrate you for your grace. Lord, thank you for this chapter which highlights your grace in such a, such a visible way. Father, help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings uh, chapter 20, verse 1, uh, the time of the rule of wicked King Ahab. Bible says, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. Uh, Ben-Hadad, ben the king of Syria. Uh, we're not sure if this is... 
uh, his literal name, or if it's a title, uh, that was uh, applied to the kings of Syria. Brother Art, kind of like Pharaoh, right? There wasn't one Pharaoh all the way through history. There were multiple Pharaohs of Egypt. Uh, ben uh, is a word that means son. Uh, Hadad uh, is uh, an Amorite word that means um, God of storms or, or God of the rain or God of storms. It makes it sort of an Amorite equivalent of the word Baal. Remember, Baal has that same meaning. And so uh, this, this name has the literal idea of the son of the God of storms, or others might, might view it as the son of Baal. And uh, it's quite likely that the kings of, of Syria uh, or Aram, as it would be called other places, uh, for example, Balaam was from a place called Aram or Aram, uh, Syria is, is that same place. Quite possible that all of their kings viewed themselves uh, that way, Brother Ray, as, as sons of their false god, uh, as servants of, of this false god. That's who uh, this king is. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his hosts, his army together. There were 30 and two kings with him, uh, under kings, uh, and horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and warred, warred against it. So uh, this be Israel in the north, Samaria or Israel, uh, the northern kingdom. Uh, Benadad comes and, and he makes claims against and demands of Ahab. Verse 2 says, he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, uh, into the city and said unto him, thus saith Ben-Hadad. Hey, we have a message from Ben-Hadad, king, uh, king of Syria. Uh, here's the message, uh, King Ahab. Thy silver and thy gold, your silver and your gold, it's mine, says Ben-Hadad. Thy wives also and thy children, uh, guess what? They're, they're mine too. Uh, even the goodliest uh, are mine. That, that's not a message you want to get uh, from a bad guy who's got a big giant army. That's, that's not a message uh, you want to get. Now, um, why, why would he uh, make this assertion, Brother Ray? Well, he's, he, he, wants, he wants these things. Uh, there is some suggestion that at this time, uh, Syria is exercising pretty extensive control over uh, Samaria or, or Israel, and even Ahab may view himself as sort of a vassal or, or a subordinate to some extent uh, to Syria at this time. There's some suggestion that uh, he, he views Syria as such a threat that as much as he can, he should just play along uh, with what they want, go along with what they want uh, in the interest of some kind of peace, even if it's a false peace that deprives his, him of some liberty uh, and some of his things. He answers here in verse 4, the king of Israel answered and said, my lord, uh, O king, well, right there is a suggestion that he views himself as sort of a subordinate uh, to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. He calls him Lord, my Lord, my king. That's why we might say that. My Lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine uh, and all that I have. Sure, I, sure enough, uh, I'm yours and all that I have uh, is yours. Uh, the messengers came again and said, Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, 
Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold, and thy wives and thy children, yet will I send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time. They shall search thine house and the house of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put it in their hand uh, and take it away. So, um, you know, Ahab seems to have been playing along uh, up to a point. And then Ben-Hadad says, well, okay, if you're playing along, uh, listen, I'm going to send my servants. They're going to come into your palace. They're going to take a look around. Anything that they think is good, they're just going to take it. Gary, that doesn't sound good. That's not good at all. Uh, and so Ahab goes to uh, his, his counselors, the elders of the land, uh, and says, hey, what do you think we should do? Brother Ray, he, he needs some input here. What are we going to do about this? This has gone a little too far. King of Israel called, all, verse 7, called all the elders of the land and, and said, Mark, I pray you, uh, and see how this man seeketh mischief. For he sent unto me for my wives and for my children and for my silver and for my gold. I denied him not. That's pretty interesting. Uh, his wives, his children, his silver, and his gold. He said, I, I denied him not. That's pretty interesting. Uh, th this is a wicked man. I denied him not. The elders respond, verse 8, all the elders of the people said unto him, hearken not unto him. Uh, King Ahab, don't hearken unto uh, ben and Dad, nor, nor consent. Don't, don't agree. Uh, don't agree. And so Ahab refuses Ben-Hadad, verse 9. Wherefore, he said unto the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king all that thou didst send uh, for thy servant, for me, at the first I will do. My wives, my children, my silver, my gold, take amongst them or from them uh, all that you want. Imagine, imagine wickedness. But this thing I may not do. You can't just come and take anything. Well, it seems like he's made claim on the most important things already. Messengers departed and brought him word again. So he said, I agreed to the first request. I'm not going to agree that they just come and take anything that, that seems good to them. Um, and so Ben-Hadad, verse 10, he, he responds with a threat, Brother Ray. Look, look at verse 10 with me, please. Ben-Hadad sent unto him and said, The gods do so unto me and more also if the dust of Samaria, Israel, up north, shall suffice for the handfuls for all the people uh, that follow me. Now, this is a threat. The, the construction of that verse, the structure of the sentence, a, a little bit difficult, but uh, he's saying something like this. He's swearing the gods, that his gods, uh, his gods will, would come against him uh, if he didn't reduce uh, Samaria or Israel to dust uh, allowing uh, his army that was so big uh, and so massive that he, each soldier, each one of his troops, could just grab a handful of the dust and, uh, and walk away with it. That's, um, that's a little bit poetic. It's, a, it's quite a little bit exaggerated, but this seemed to be the idea. He, he's saying, you know, like, by, by my God as my witness, I'll reduce uh, Samaria, Israel, to dust. Uh, and we'll carry off. Uh, my massive army will carry off the dust. Uh, that's a threat. Uh, that's a threat. Brother Ray, uh, he's saying, you can't deny me whatever I want. I'm, 
I'm Ben-Hadad, king of, king of Syria. I, I have control over you. I have power over you. Evidently, he did up to a point. Well, in verse 11, Ahab answers with a proverb, a wise proverb, a wise saying. King of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast of himself as he or as one that putteth it off. Uh, he's basically saying, hey, uh, a man who hasn't yet accomplished his mission uh, should not yet boast. Let him not that girdeth on his harness or uh, his, um, what do you put on for battle, Brother Gary? Um, help me out. Your armor, kind of like that, right? Uh, d don't, uh, don't boast like, like a man who's taking off his armor after he's secured a victory. Uh, you're just a guy who's making threats. Uh, you're, you're a guy who's essentially putting on his armor to go out to battle uh, and making threats, but you're boasting like someone who's come out of battle having secured a victory and now taking off his armor. Uh, this, this would be the idea. Don't, don't boast like you've had a victory before you've even fought the battle. Well, that sounds like good advice, Brother Richard. Uh, no doubt that that's a proverb that was a saying uh, in, in that time. Uh, look at verse 12. Uh, look at verse 12. Uh, King Ben-Hadad, uh, Mr. King Hadad, uh, he responds. Uh, he's going to put his troops in array uh, or in position to attack uh, Israel. It seems that uh, he makes this decision, uh, according to verse 12, uh, uh, after he's been drinking a bit. Uh, verse 12, it came to pass when Ben-Hadad heard this message uh, as he was drinking, uh, he and the kings in his pavilions, so uh, he and his, his officers, his generals, they've been kind of hanging out in their tents uh, on this day, not, not very concerned about whatever would happen. They're, they're drinking and probably getting drunk. Uh, he and, his, and the kings in his pavilion, he said unto his servants, set yourselves in array, and they set themselves in array against the city. Take up your positions. Uh, we're going to attack uh, this city. Zach, why do you suppose it mentions that he was drinking here? It's kind of interesting here. Uh, we'll see later on he's been drinking, and we'll see later on there's a, maybe, maybe we'll come back to this. Uh, he's drinking. Later on there's a more uh, clear uh, um, revelation that he's drunk uh, and that he loses um, in battle. Think about that. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, we'll come back to that. Now, that's sort of the, the scene, the stage uh, that's been set. Uh, Ahab seems to have subjected himself uh, under Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. Uh, Ben-Hadad says, well, you know, if, if if he's willing to play along, we'll just take full advantage of that. Until he goes too far, uh, Ahab says no, and Benedad says, well, all right, we're, we're probably going to have to attack to, to remind this guy Ahab and his people who's in charge. Uh, that's, that's the stage that is set here. Well, uh, in verse 13, a prophet uh, evidently, a prophet of the Lord comes to Ahab uh, and says, listen, you're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. 
Brother Ray, I believe this is, this is the grace of God stepping into a very threatening, uh, very difficult situation. Uh, evidently, the Lord sends one of his prophets to encourage Ahab with a revelation that, that he'll be okay, uh, at least for now. Verse 13, Behold, uh, and behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, he's a prophet of the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? Have you seen this army that's arrayed against you? This is not, this is not good. Uh, then he says this. He says, behold, here's God's message through his messenger, through his prophet to King Ahab. Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. That's a good message. That was a good message on that day. Hey, uh, you may not be in charge here, Ahab, because he really wasn't. He placed himself under an enemy nation, an enemy king, uh, and now he's got a problem. But the Lord very graciously steps onto this scene, steps onto the stage and says through his prophet, uh, it's, it's going to be okay. I will deliver this army into your hand. Uh, and the last phrase of verse 13 is very interesting to me and we'll see something like this uh, another time in the chapter he says and thou who is this prophet speaking to who's the prophet speaking to Zach Ahab King Ahab of Israel the northern kingdom he says and thou shalt know that I am the Lord and Ahab supposed to know that already He's king of Israel. He's got 10 of the uh, tribes uh, under him. He's supposed to know that already. He's supposed to know the Lord already. Uh, but he, Brother Art, he's been dabbling in all kinds of false worship, isn't he? Uh, he's, he's married a woman from uh, outside of the land who's brought her false gods uh, with her. Uh, and no doubt, we, well, we know he, he's been pulled into this false worship and many of the people uh, have been as well. So God steps in and says, I, I'm, I'm going to deliver you. And you, Mr. King Ahab, king of Israel, you are going to know that I am the Lord. Yeah, that, that'd be good. That, that'd be very good, Ahab. Um, look at verse 14. Look at, look at verse 14. Ahab said, uh, by whom? Uh, who, who's going to deliver us from, from this uh, big, ugly, scary army? Uh, and he, the prophet, said, Thus saith the Lord, even by the young men of the princes of the provinces. Uh, okay, so you, you're, you're going to mount uh, a defense. Uh, then he said, Who shall order the battle? Ahab, King Ahab says uh, to the prophet, Well, okay, who's, who's going to lead this? Uh, defense uh, of Israel. Who, who's going to do that? And he, the prophet, answered Ahab and said one word. What's the one word? Thou. What's he mean, Brother Garcia? You're going to do it, sir. Uh, you're the king, after all. You are going to lead this battle, uh, this defense of the land. Ahab numbers the people, verse 15. He numbered the young men uh, of the princes of the provinces. They were 232. Uh, leaders or princes in the land. The idea here is that these would serve as, as officers. 
Uh, after them, he numbered all the people, even all the children of Israel being 7,000. So he's got 232 princes uh, who will serve as officers, evidently, uh, and 7,000 uh, people. Verse 16, they went out at noon, noontime, middle of the day. Uh, but Ben-Adad was, what was he doing? Drinking himself drunk uh, in the pavilions, he and the kings. Uh, King uh, Ben-Hadad of Syria and, and his officers, well, they're just, again, kind of laying around, drinking themselves drunk. Uh, he and the kings, the 30 and 2 kings, uh, that, that helped him, his officers. Uh, Zach, is this uh, positioning them uh, to have a great military victory this day? Uh, no, they're, they're just laying around drinking uh, and, and getting drunk. Brother Ray... Uh, we know everything the Bible teaches about drunkenness, intoxication, and clearly we're, we're, we're called to refrain from intoxication, to refrain uh, from being drunk. There, there's a picture here of the uh, stupidity, the, uh, the, the profound lack of wisdom in allowing oneself to be drunk, uh, perhaps especially in, in, in the middle of the day, perhaps especially uh, when... Um, when there's a significant uh, business to be accomplished, um, something comes to mind, but I'm gonna let it go. Uh, let's not get sidetracked. Verse 17, the young men of the princes of the provinces uh, went out first and Ben-Hadad sent out and told them saying, uh, there are men uh, come out of Samaria, out of Israel. They probably didn't expect that. They probably thought they'd just go uh, sailing into the land and, and, and have a quick victory. Uh, kind of like uh, the, the Russians expected in Kiev, evidently. they just go sailing in, it'd be a quick victory, it'd be over. I think that's probably what Ben-Hadad expected here. Uh, but they very quickly realized that uh, Ahab was mounting a defense. Uh, his, uh, his forces come out after the troops of, of uh, Ben-Hadad. Now, it's interesting, uh, for reasons that are not... Uh, entirely clear, Ben-Hadad ordered uh, that any of Ahab's troops that could be captured that should be taken alive. That's not what you would expect. Uh, verse 18, he said, whether they uh, become out for peace, whether they come out and surrender, take them alive, or whether they come out for war, uh, take them alive. So these young men of the princes of the provinces came out of the city and the army uh, which followed them. I don't know if you've studied this passage before. You probably have, no doubt. Um, but if you, if you wondered about why, um, why Ben-Hadad issues this order that um, the troops of Ahab be taken alive no matter what. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting. Any thoughts on that? Was that a hand? It's just very interesting. I don't, I don't know that it, it necessarily makes sense. I mean, and we know that sort of the, the practice of the day was to take captive who you could and kind of carry them back to uh, your land. This was the practice of the Assyrians. Remember, we're not dealing with the Assyrians here. These are the Syrians. Um, it was, we know this would be the practice of the Babylonians. Uh, in 586 and 10 years before that as well. 
It's just very interesting. I don't, I don't know if there's, if there's an obvious explanation. Zach, you wonder if his, the, the two times mention of the drinking factors into this, is, is, is this just a guy who's given kind of sloppy advice here because he's drunk? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've also considered, um, is, this, is this the Lord uh, just sort of exercising some sovereign control over Ben-Hadad? Uh, is, is this just the Lord kind of reaching down and, and saying, listen, uh, if you capture any of these guys, you're not going to kill them. You're going to take them alive. Is, is this the Lord graciously putting his hand upon this man? Uh, not grace to him, but, but grace to Ahab uh, and to the Israelites and, and saying, I'm, I'm just going to move this man in his heart not, not to kill my people, but rather to keep them alive. That's, that's certainly a possibility as well. And in the, the total context of the entire passage, uh, that, that might be a good theory. If you have other thoughts, please come and share them with me afterwards. Um, really just not real sure uh, about that. But I, I think it, it, it fits with the theme of grace here, certainly. Verse 20, they slew uh, everyone his man. Uh, Ahab's army slew uh, all the Syrians that they could. They slew everyone his man, and the Syrians fled, uh, and Israel pursued them. Uh, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse uh, with the horsemen. Uh, picture this act, this drunk guy going charging off uh, on a horse, retreating on a horse. This probably was not a pretty scene at, at all. Uh, by the way, what did that prophet say to, uh, to Ahab? To Ahab, when, when Ahab looked out and saw the, the armies of Syria arrayed against him, the prophet came and said, what? What do you say? God's going to deliver you. God's got it. The Lord, he's got it. He, he'll deliver you. In fact, he's going to use you to deliver, uh, deliver people from uh, these, these attacking foes. Uh, God's going to use you. Well, evidently, uh, he did. Verse 21, the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots and slew the Syrians uh, with a great slaughter. Brother Ray, God said... Uh, and God did. God said, and God did. Amen? Uh, you know, let's be encouraged tonight. God said this would happen, and, and this did happen. Uh, no doubt the hand of God is all over this, probably over Ben-Hadad's decree about taking prisoners as opposed to killing. Uh, probably, uh, well, don't know, but we do know God said he would deliver the people, uh, and he did. He's a God who's able to make promises, and he's a God who's able to keep promises, uh, as we've seen recently. Now, um, Ben-Hadad, he's not done yet. Uh, he's escaped the battle. Uh, he's ridden off drunk on his horse. Not a good scene. Uh, he's not done yet. He, Brother Ray, he'll, he'll not be put down easily. Um, and so the Lord, Lord knows that. How much does the Lord know, Brother Art? He knows everything. The Lord knows that. And so he sends the prophet back to Ahab to say, listen, this guy's not done yet. Uh, he's going to come again. Verse 22, the prophet came to the king of Israel and said unto him, go strengthen thyself 
Mark and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come up against thee. Now look at verse 20. So that's the message. They're coming again. Get ready. Strengthen yourself. Get ready. That's the warning uh, from the prophet. Um, is that a gracious warning from the Lord, Brother Gary? Uh, does Ahab deserve a warning? He doesn't deserve a warning. Uh, but Lord sends a warning. Brother Ray, that's, that's grace. Uh, this is at least the second, maybe the third, maybe the fourth, uh, very visual demonstration of God's grace. God sends the prophet again and says, be advised, be aware, this guy's coming again. Look at verse 23. The servants of the king of Syria uh, said unto him, um, to um, Ben-Hadad, there we go. Uh, Ben-Hadad's servants say to him, they've got some military strategy for Ben-Hadad that is based, brother, are on some false notions about the Lord. Uh, so they, they've considered kind of what has happened, who is the Lord their God. They make some assumptions, uh, and then they, they build a military strategy for the next campaign based on their false assumptions. They take this battle plan to Ben-Hadad. Again, verse 23, the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, their gods are gods of the hills. How many gods did Israel have? Well, they had one real god, amen? Uh, their gods are gods of the hills. Now, the Lord is the god of the hills uh, where the last battle had occurred, or, or Brother Ray, is he the god of everywhere? It's the latter. Our, our God, the Lord, the one true God, he's the God of everywhere, right? He's the God of everywhere. So uh, they have this false conception of the Lord. Uh, they, they, they said, well, uh, we have many gods, Baal being kind of a chief God, but not their only God. They must have gods too, so... Uh, or maybe they viewed the Lord as gods ra rather than a god. Um, the, the idea that um, you would worship more than one god, what's that called? Was it? Polytheism. Yes, sir. Poly, many theism gods, many gods, polytheism. Yeah, they're, they're polytheists, and, and they assume that Israelites must be polytheists too. Um, and they had gods uh, that, that seemed, they seemed to have gods, Brother Ray, who, who were gods that had dominion or control over certain places, and so they view the Lord through the lens of their own false theology and say, well, you know, we, we lost in the hills, so uh, must be their god is, gods uh, are the gods of the hills. We just better go and fight them somewhere else. Um, there's an idea, um, uh, tutular gods, or, or the idea that a god or gods would be gods of one place, but not every place. Uh, this is false theology of the 
false religion that was being practiced by the Syrians. How many gods do you worship, Zachary? One. Is he three persons? Absolutely he is, but he is one God. Is he three parts of a whole? No, he's one God. How can that be? I don't know. I don't know. But he's, one, he's triune. We don't, we don't practice polytheism. Uh, we, we, we practice a triune faith. Uh, tri means what? Three. Un, unity, one. Three persons that make one inseparable whole God. Brother, I can't explain, I can explain it that far and that far only. I can't understand that. I can just explain it biblically. That's our God. Um, I think I've, I've probably said this many times before. Our God is not a God that the mind of man would make up because we can't understand it. That's a great proof, by the way, of, of the truth of Scripture. The God that's revealed in Scripture is one who we cannot fully understand. Man would not make him up because we can't comprehend his nature fully. Uh, go ahead. Say again. You don't have to understand it, right? And the, and the fact that we can't just reminds us that our God is so much above us in so many ways. At the same time, he indwells us. <laughs> Both are true. Both are true. Um, yeah, we don't practice polytheism. Um, we do not practice polytheism. By the way, we're not Unitarians either. Amen? We're not Unitarians either. Unitarians would say that God is one person. He's not one person. He's three persons. He's the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that makes one God. So we're not polytheists and we're not Unitarians. We practice a triune faith and the only one, the only one that history has ever known. It's the one that is revealed by the one true God, not one that's made up by men. Uh, and our God, the one true Lord, Brother Ray, he is the God of all places. And not just the God of all places here upon the earth, He's the God of all places, everywhere in, throughout his creation. Um, not only that, not only does he exercise dominion over every part of his creation, um, where is God present in his creation? Where is he present? Everywhere. And not that he is spread out very thinly across his creation, he is fully present, Brother Ray Metric, at every point in his creation, at every point in time. How is that possible? That's not a God that men would make up because we can't comprehend that. We can't comprehend it. We can't control it. We can't own that. But that's the God who's revealed in Scripture. Uh, very different from the made-up gods of these enemy nations. They're making up what they can comprehend and control in their minds. Uh, we have one true God who is not made up, but who has revealed himself to us and who exercises control over all things. Well, verse 24, do this thing, take the kings away, every man out of his place, put captains in their rooms, 
Uh, wait, we better go back to verse 23. I got, I got all excited on verse 23. Their gods are the gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But let us fight again. Let's go fight them again in the plain. Because their, their gods aren't the gods of the plain. Uh, and surely we shall be stronger than they. We just got to find a place that their gods don't exercise dominion over and we'll be fine. This is their strategy that they proposed to Ben-Hadad. Now, verse 24, do this thing. Take the kings away, every man out of his place. Put captains in their rooms. Number thee an army like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot. We will fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And he hearkened unto their voice. Ben-Hadad agreed and did so. Verse 26, it came to pass at the return of the year that Ben-Hadad numbered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against uh, Israel. This would be a place uh, there in, in the area, Aphek, a place where they hoped uh, to attack Israel. Verse 27, the children of Israel numbered, were all present and went against them, and the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids, uh, but the Syrians filled the country. They evidently outnumbered uh, the troops of Israel very dramatically, very dramatically. Uh, verse 28, there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel, evidently a prophet again, a prophet of the Lord again comes to Ahab and said, thus saith the who? The Lord because the Syrians have said, the Lord is the God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Uh, imagine the Lord hearing that. Imagine the Lord hears, yep, Israel, your God is, your gods are the God, not the gods of, yes, are the gods of the hills. God is not pleased by that. Because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys, Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thy hand. The prophet comes and says, Ahab, God's got this. God is not pleased with your enemy. God has some things to uh, reveal in graciously giving you another victory. Uh, Therefore I will deliver all this great multitude into thine hand. Um, and what's the next word? What is it? Ye, ye shall know that I am the Lord. At the last battle, the prophet said, uh, Ahab, you will know. Uh, you will know. Now he says in, in this next battle, all, all y'all are going to know that I am the Lord. I am delivering you uh, two little flocks of troops set against an army that, that filled the country. You're all going to know. It's going to be clear. I'm the Lord who delivered you. Uh, and look at verse 29. They pitched one over against the other seven days. Uh, and so it was that in the seventh day, the battle was joined. Seven days in, uh, seven days out from that prophecy, a great battle begins. And the children of Israel slew of the Syrians. Uh, what, is, what does the rest of the verse say? Read it with me, please and 100,000 footmen in one day. They slew 100,000 of their enemies uh, in one day. How's that possible, Rich? 
How, how could that be? It seems like they were vastly outnumbered. How is it possible? The Lord gave them a victory. How exactly did he do that? I don't know. Uh, it's, not, it's not revealed to us ex except that God said, God said they would have a victory. Uh, and as a result, people would know that he was Lord. Look at verse 30. Uh, it's like, but wait, there's more. Verse 30, but the rest uh, fled to Aphek into the city. And there a wall fell upon 20 and 7,000 of the men uh, that were left. So uh, 27,000 troops escape into the city of Aphek. And it seems like the minute they go running and charging into the city, a wall, the city wall falls upon them uh, and kills them. Another 27,000. Zach, how is that possible? Does it seem kind of unlikely that that would happen? Who did that? The Lord did that. Ben-Hadad fled into the same city, Verse next part of the verse, came into the city into an inner chamber, thought he'd be safe there. Uh, verse 31, his servants said unto him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us, I pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and robes upon our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Peradventure, he will save thy life. Maybe he'll be merciful. Uh, if, if we just get real humble and real repentant and real submissive real fast. Verse 32, so they girded sackcloth on their loins and put ropes on their heads, uh, I think implying that they might be led around. I think this is a picture of submission, Brother Ray. Uh, came to the king of Israel and said, Thy servant Ben-Hadad saith, I pray thee, let me live. Uh, and he said, uh, Is he yet alive? He's my brother. Uh, now the men did diligently observe whether anything would come from him and did hastily catch it. And they said, thy brother Ben-Hadad. Then he said, go ye, bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came forth to him uh, and he caused him to come up into the chariot. Ben-Hadad said unto him, the cities which my father took from thy father, uh, I will restore, give back to you. Uh, and thou shalt make streets for thee in Damascus. Um, you'll, you'll have you'll have a, a part in Damascus, in Syria. Uh, and my father, uh, as my father made in Samaria. Then said Ahab, I will send thee away with this covenant. So he made a covenant with him and sent him away. Um, there's pretty quickly, it becomes clear that uh, that was not the Lord's intention, Brother Ray. Uh, and it pretty quickly becomes clear that um, Ahab knew that or should have known that. Uh, it very clearly becomes clear that Ahab understood that the Lord would not have him to enter into a covenant or a peace treaty with the Syrians, but that instead he should have killed uh, Ben-Hadad or seen to it that, uh, that he was killed. Um, Verse 35, we'll, we'll read, I know we're covering a lot of ground here, but I want to just read down through uh, the end of the chapter fairly quickly. A prophet comes again, and he acts out in a very um, surprising way. Uh, in a very surprising way, he acts out the, the idea that um, Ahab... Is, is guilty of not doing what he should have done. He, uh, he puts on this little play. It's, it's real up to a point, but it's essentially 
uh, a parable or a little play that he acts out to cause Ahab to confess his error, uh, to see his error and to confess it. See verse 35, a certain man of the sons of the prophets said unto his neighbor uh, in the word of the Lord, smite me, punch me, I pray thee. The man refused to smite him, uh, punch me. Then he said unto him, Because thou hast not obeyed the voice of the Lord, behold, as soon as thou departed, uh, depart from me, a lion shall slay thee. And as soon as he was departed from him, a lion found him and slew him. Okay. Then he found another man and said, Smite me, punch me, I pray thee. Uh, and the man smote him so that in smiting him he wounded him. Didn't kill him, but wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king, Ahab, by the way, and disguised himself with ashes upon his face. As the king passed by, he, this smitten prophet, cried unto the king and said, now he's putting on an act. Now he's putting on an act. He's made himself appear that he's been injured in battle. Uh, and now he's going to put on an act for Ahab. He says, thy servant, me, went out into the midst of the battle, and behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me and said, keep this man. You, Mr. Prophet, keep this prisoner. And if by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. If this guy gets away from you, you're going to give your life, or else you're going to pay a fine. And as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. The prisoner escaped, Mr. King. King of Israel said unto him, So shall thy judgment be. Thyself have decided it. You've just said that you understood what the arrangement was and that you failed. You've just confessed your guilt. Verse 41, And he hasted and took the ashes away from his face. He took off his disguise and the king of Israel discerned him that he was of, he was one of the prophets. And he, the prophet, said unto him, Ahab, thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, Ben-Hadad, therefore thy life shall go for his life and thy people for his people. Zach, the Lord has been very gracious up to this point. He's been very gracious. He's given two great victories in battle most graciously. But where there is evidently what Ahab knew, what he evidently understood to be a great example of disobedience to the Lord. Evidently, Ahab understood that he should not have entered into a covenant with Ben-Hadad, but rather taken his life at the Lord's direction. Um, he, he will suffer consequences for his sin of disobedience. Therefore, thy life shall go for his life and thy people for his people. The king of Israel went to his house heavy and displeased or angry uh, and came to Samaria. What does the prophet say will happen to Ahab because of his disobedience? What's he say? What, what is it? 
He's going to die. Yeah, God's been very gracious. Grace upon grace upon grace. Got a whole heap of grace here. But Ahab responded to that grace with great disobedience. And God said, okay, there's, there's going to be a consequence. Sure enough, we'll see um, at the end of two chapters down the road, almost three chapters down the road, uh, Ahab will suffer the consequences of his sin. Brother Ray, God is very gracious. God is very gracious. We open with that thought. We'll close with that thought. But sin always has consequences. There's always consequences. Um, we do well to keep both of those thoughts in mind. God is gracious, but sin has consequences. Uh, Brother Art, that's what I take from this passage. Let's close there and pray, please. Father, thank you, Lord, tonight for this chapter. We've probably covered it too quickly. But Lord, thank you tonight that we were able to cover it. Lord, thank you tonight that we can see your grace heaped upon grace. Lord, you're a God who is able to make gracious promises. You're a God who is faithful to keep them. You're a God who is mighty and able to keep the gracious promises that you make. Lord, we see also here tonight that we do well to consider our response to your grace. We do well to obey, not to take your grace for granted, not to make your grace an excuse to disobey you. Lord, help us to stand guard against the thought that I can disobey because I have a gracious God. Oh, Lord, tonight we see that sin has consequences. You're gracious, God, but you're also a just God. Father, I pray tonight that we just take a moment and praise you and worship you in our own hearts for your grace. We know tonight we're saved because of the cross and the grace that is made available to us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed. Lord, give us hearts tonight to just thank you and praise you and worship you in our own hearts Fill our hearts with gratitude for your grace. Lord, I pray tonight also that we never, ever allow ourselves to make your grace an excuse for disobedience. Lord, help us to stand guard against the false assumption that because you're gracious, there will never be any consequence for sin. Well, thank you tonight that we needn't worry about the consequence of hell, but certainly there can be consequences in this life. 
Lord, give us hearts to obey you for your honor and for your glory. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you. I pray and thank you for your word tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Zach, you come. All right, let's stand as we turn to number 343. Number 343 will sing, Thank You, Lord. 343. Thank the Lord for friends and home, for mercy sure and sweet. But I would praise him for his grace, in prayer I would repeat. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free some thank him for the flowers that grow some for the stars that shine my heart is filled with joy and praise because i know he's mine thank you lord for saving my soul thank you lord for making me whole Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. And the last, I trust in him from day to day. I prove his saving grace. I'll sing this song of praise to him until I see his face. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Amen. You may be seated. 